Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Christianese. I'm your host, Drew Fitzgerald, and today we're taking on a big topic. In fact, while I was researching this, I thought about breaking it out into other podcasts and going really deep, but it would have been much too long and much too deep. And the thing is, when it comes to culture, there's a lot of good conversation that we can have around it. How does the church relate to culture? Is it good? Is it bad? What parts of it should we keep? What parts should be redeemed? All of that good stuff. And so I hope today's episode is fuel for conversation in your own community with your friends to talk about how do you relate to your culture? How do you engage with it? And so this is just going to be a big overview. This is going to be a pretty general survey of what culture is and how we approach it and the need to engage our creativity and withstand criticism for the sake of reaching culture. Welcome back to Christianese. In the church, culture tends to be a dirty word. The culture is secular, it's unholy, it's dirty. But the good thing about Jesus is when you come to him, he washes off all that dirty culture and leaves only good stuff behind. At least that's what a lot of us heard while we were growing up in church. But let's back up a little bit. What is culture? Well, in short, it's our collective expression. It's like a choir when you get tenors, Altos, Sopranos, and Basses, all together they create something much more dynamic, much more full and radiant than any one of those parts on their own. culture, we collectively come together to express ourselves in language, in slang, in arts, in the stories that we tell about ourselves. And our collective expression is much more dynamic, radiant, and full than it ever would be with just us as individuals. But culture is not just what we create together, it's also the way that we understand the world around us. What's good and what's bad? What's proper behavior? What's proper language? How do you approach someone older than you? what is expected in certain situations. In short, culture is, collectively, who we are, what we do, and why we do it. And culture is not something that we can get rid of. So no matter where you are, where you're going, no matter what church you walk into, you're carrying your culture with you. The issue in the church is not that we have a culture. It's really more of a question of trajectory. Where is our culture pointed? Is it pointed towards the sacred or the secular? Is it pointed to things of God or is it pointed to a life without God? The Lord of the Rings has a fantastic creation story, which, if you're not into Lord of the Rings, hang with me here, is a great example of what I'm talking about. In the beginning, 
there was only Eru, who on the earth is called Iluvatar, the one who is. And from his thought he created the Ainur, the holy ones, and to them he taught the principles of music, and they would sing before his throne. But there was one of the Ainur, Melkor, who was given the greatest gifts of power and knowledge, who wished above all else to find the imperishable flame and create beings of his own, for he was impatient and vain. He searched throughout the void for the flame, but did not find it, because it is within Iluvatar. And so there, in his isolation, he began to conceive thoughts and plans of his own. One day, Eru gathers all the Ainur to himself and starts a new song with a greater harmony than ever sung before. It's the song of creation, and as it goes out, it creates light and life in the void. Melkor, seeing this, raises up his voice loudly to start a song of his own, one that is discordant to Eru, and the Ainur around him start to tune themselves away from Eru to the Discordia. When the song stops, Eru leads them all to creation and says, Mighty are the Ainur, and mightiest among them is Melkor, but that he may know, and all the Ainur, that I am Iluvatar. I will show you what your song has made. And you, Melkor, you'll see that no theme can be played that doesn't have its ultimate source in me, and no one can alter the song in my despite. For anyone who does this, you will see that they are simply an instrument in my greater plan. You'll also discover all the secret thoughts of your mind, Melkor, and you'll see that they are just a part of the whole and a tributary to my greater glory. Melkor becomes furious and rushes down to creation, claiming it as his own kingdom. And there, he tries to bend and distort and pervert everything Eru has created to his own will. Eru Iluvatar and his angels were creating a sacred culture, something of God, something that created flourishing. Melkor was focused on creating something for himself, something apart from God. And when he fell to Middle-earth, he was really successful in creating a community and a group of people determined to move away from God. And while the Lord of the Rings is just a story, the struggle that Tolkien is describing is the exact struggle that we live in. God created. He made heavens and the earth. And one of his angels wanted to live apart from God. In fact, be like God. And like Melkor, has been working diligently to create a people in a movement away from God. But how does that matter today? And what's the song that our culture is singing? Well, we're living in a time of a new enlightenment where for the past few decades, if we'll only trust or believe in science, then we'll be led to a new and better world. But the result hasn't been a utopia. Instead, we're living in a time of truth decay, where there's fake news or lies everywhere, both on the right and the left. The myth that progress will lead us towards a utopia is falling apart. Things don't seem to be getting better. They seem to be getting worse and worse. Even in Hollywood, you can't find a hopeful view of the future. All of our future movies are apocalyptic. 
And when we look beyond God for hope, we turn to flawed human saviors. We've thrown our religious energy into politics, where we believe that someone from our party can truly save us, and someone from the opposing party is only going to destroy us. That's led to hating our neighbors, just because they have a sign in their front yard that we don't like. Western culture has taken a radical view of the individual, where you are your own captain, and you can craft the life of your dreams, if only you have the grit, the determination, and the drive to do so. However, radical individualism is not leading towards self-actualization or happiness. We seek to find meaning and value in what we do and put all of our hope in our job. And our free time is now perfect time for side hustles, where we believe, deep down, if only we did a little bit more, then maybe we could be happy. This has only led to a society that feels guilty about rest, and it's left us exhausted. And we look to the money that we earn from our work to give us identity, to prove our value. This has only led to rampant materialism, where we believe that you are what you buy. And online, it leads to comparison, where if we don't have what everyone else has, that we must not be as valuable, as good, or truly not as happy as everyone else. All of this has only led to more depression, cynicism, anger, division, and isolation. Because our progress has not made us better, and our individual pursuits have not given us sources of lasting meaning, value, and purpose, we're starting to believe that not only is there no objective truth, but that maybe there's no truth at all. That life does not have meaning and that existence is simply going about in an uncaring universe. The church has a massive opportunity to step in here, but our cultural Christianity is more and more buying into secularism than it is at showing the better alternative. The prosperity gospel is just consumerism and materialism in church clothes. Sunday morning has become a product, something we can make shinier and brighter with better customer service to attract more people. Churches are turning away from the Great Commission to bring more people in and turning to marketing and social media campaigns. Instead of being a counterculture that stands up and shows a better alternative to living apart from God, we're slowly taking sidesteps into secularism, somehow thinking that the more we point ourselves towards a secularist trajectory, the more appealing we'll be to those around us. Despite this, I don't think we live in a time of doom and gloom. I think there is incredible opportunity for us as individual believers to step out and give the world hope. There's some really great examples of this in Scripture. Just look at the life of Paul. In Acts 17, Paul travels to a pagan site of worship in Athens. While there, he walks around and he learns about it. He learns about the gods, he learns how people worship, he learns how their philosophers think. And then, he stands up and talks to them, persuasively. He engages with their beliefs, and then shows them how all of their hopes are actually fulfilled in Christ, not some unknown deity. He uses their language to reveal the truth. 
That's his model for how he does ministry. He walks into a place, understands who people are, what they believe, and engages them with the gospel. Later in his life, he writes a pair of letters to the church in Corinth, a church that's really having a hard time getting it right. And in the second letter, chapter five, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. What is new has come. And all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God were making 